But the thing is, it's easy to be dismissive, but it would be like being dismissive of the dot-com era in like 2000. So a lot of these things, like they're just happening in the background and before you know it, it's in your face, just kind of like dot-com was the same. A new era for the internet is upon us and it could mean the end for the middleman. Autonomous transactions, smart contracts, and transparency of data promise a sea change for how we do business. But what are the opportunities out there for investors? What are they doing and where are they looking? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please do subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your audio content. With me is the National's Future Editor, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. Uh, this week, the topic for discussion is very much down your beat, sure. which is the future, but the future is here. Web3 is operational. We're seeing the blockchain, we're seeing NFTs, we're seeing all of these things start to proliferate and kind of go mainstream. It's catching the ears and eyes of venture capital funds. It's, you know, opening up a wide berth of opportunity for, as you said, emerging markets who may be able to leapfrog some tech that they don't yet have and move forward into this new era with with all of us. And it's it's exciting. Well, hopefully we can cut through the hype and actually get to the nuts and bolts of of what you know, what matters here? What matters and what does this actually mean for us as, you know, web users and the implications for what does it mean if you, rather than big tech, own your data? If the power of your own data is handed back to you, it ostensibly gives you the power to monetize your data rather than, say, Google, Facebook, and the like. But what's come up now is as Facebook and big tech, their ilk, start to make moves into Web3, it's like, well, wait a minute. No, is this just going to look like more of the same? So I saw that Norris Swade, who's a well-known venture capital investor here in the UAE, had written on Web3 on LinkedIn last week. And I was like, all right, the VCs are paying attention. They're, de- they're declaring open war on Web3 and they're, they're eyeing opportunities. So what is she seeing and what's she doing kind of at the table of Web3 and what role do investors have in a world where we, the individual, are meant to have the power? Noor is founder and general partner of Global Ventures, an emerging markets venture capital firm backed by some of the world's best known investors, such as General Atlantic and Capria. Global Ventures will shortly close its second fund and is now invested in over 40 companies, including Katapi, Mums World, and Red Sea Farms. I asked her back on the podcast to talk about Web3. Here it is. Thanks for joining and bravely agreeing to talk Web3. Are you ready? Um, as ready as I'll ever be, I think, at this point in time. Well, you, I mean, interestingly, you're, you're one of the first voices I've seen in the region who has endeavored to explain to an audience or try to publicly wrap your mind around what this all is. So first, I want to kind of get into your understanding of what Web3 is. Let's both step onto the moon together and try to um, describe it, understand the opportunities, the potential threats. And then also, I want to dig into where you're seeing opportunity specifically as an investor. So part one of this conversation, let's just try to help our listeners and ourselves understand where we're at and where we're headed. And then I'm interested from you wearing your investor cap, what it is you're actually looking for. So we're hearing a lot these days about Web3's potential to get rid of intermediaries. Decentralized feels like the word of, of the week, word of the year. But what are you seeing in terms of what this will actually mean when you think about the products or the services that will be involved in a decentralized new web? Okay, so big questions. Um, thank you for those. 
one of the one of the reasons I've been writing about this is because I think that if Web3 is decentralized and the purpose behind it is to really build as a community rather than as a corporate or a server that then you know uh, centralizes all the information and, and provides it to customers, the community approach is to have the conversation. So my postings are much more out there to say, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm seeing, here's how I'm, I've understood it so far. Uh, I'm happy to to have a conversation, happy to have discourse would love to know what other people are thinking. Um, you know, we're still in the exploring phase. So I think we are all exploring together. We are all building together and we are all in this together. And that is the purpose of Web3 is to say, let's build an infrastructure that we are all building together rather than five large tech companies owning everything. That is first and foremost, and that is decentralized. So that is the first thing that comes to mind. In terms of if it's decentralized in the product, it should be decentralized in the conversation, it should be decentralized in decision-making. That is where we end up with Web3. What this means and the implications is if we all own our own data, if we all are parts of this ecosystem, if we are all building on this ecosystem, if we are all deciding together in the form of DAOs, which we could talk about in a minute, um, and, and kind of building communities within this ecosystem, then in theory, this ecosystem belongs to all of us. This internet belongs to all of us. Um, and serves all of us in the way in which we believe it should be serving us. And that is the the promise of Web3. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so hopeful. It sounds like, can we can we learn lessons that fast, given we're coming out of a, like a, what feels like a hyper warp speed growth cycle of, of Web 2.0? It's happened so fast over the last, say, 20 years. Um, so can we learn lessons that quickly and, and rebuild? Is that what you're feeling like? Is that is that the internet almost needs a, a rebuild moment of of let's think about what we've learned and 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 do better this time? Well, I, I don't think that that we're that sophisticated. I think <laughs> that, it, that, it, that it's it's a matter of function. So Web One was information; it gave you information. If you remember, it was Google giving you information, Yahoo giving you information. It was this magical was miracle. Jeeves. Yeah, it was Ask Jeeves exactly. Right? It was ICQ. It was very much the provision of information in very rudimentary and modems and servers and logging on was a really big deal and the rest of it. So web one was a provision of information. Web two was the ability to then interact, whether it's social media, whether it's posting something and someone putting comments, whether it's that read and write, your ability to participate in the internet was web two. But web three is different. Web three is the evolution into, if, if those were stores of information and a way to store information, Web3 becomes a, a way to store value, right? And the, the rudimentary form of that being Bitcoin. So if we want to store value in a form online, and in my last post, I likened this to paper, right? So it's imagine, you know, when they said, here is a paper, here's a note, here's a piece of paper that represents 10 gold coins. Can you imagine kind of if that were you receiving that piece of paper or trying to give it? And you said, but I can burn this. I can lose this. I, how am I supposed to carry this? You know, what if I tear this, right? And similarly then with crypto, we get to a point where it's a digital form. It, it is in essence asking us to stretch our imagination the same way we have to stretch our imagination to accept paper as a right. form of value. So Bitcoin is a form of value. And then all the extensions of that, all the other, the ethers and the coins and everything. And then that extended to become, can we therefore do micropayments? on this platform? Can I pay you small bits? So if you post something and I read it, you should be rewarded. If you now create music in an artist and sell it or put it as an NFT and distribute it, 
people can now own that music rather than just listen to that music. People can own the royalties if they've participated in investing in you as an artist. So you, you get then the extension of what is valuable and all the creators that can create art and music and education. If you post something on YouTube, should you not be compensated every time somebody watches it? That is value. Your time is valuable. The What they have just learned is valuable to them. Should they not be compensating you for that? And so the ability to create these micropayments in digital form that are then consolidated into either coins or tokens or different forms of digital currency, the same way that, that you had paper currency hundreds of years ago and thousands of years ago be invented. That is the stretch of the imagination that is required to say, okay, I'm buying this. I believe that this form of digital currency has value and that that value can be distributed via Web3 the same way that information was distributed via Web1. It sounds very exciting. I think what calls to mind for me is this idea of the internet being founded to be a free and open access to the information superhighway. And what you're describing really is a bank account each of us carries around with us online and through the power of data collection, you know, we're tracked and our activities are monitored so that, you know, to, to the victor always goes the spoils in, in a sense. From you think about the creator economy, you think about artists and, and, and their ilk and you're, you think, of course, I would want to pay the artist to play their song. But then you think about that in a, in a, in a more malevolent sense and you're like, well, would I really want to, you know, pay the, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the opposite example of is, <laughs> would be to, to paying an artist. But, um, but it, there, there seems to be some inherent risk in, in there being an inherent value to every single thing we consume online. I don't know. I don't want to get too philosophical on this, but what do you, what do you think of that? If we're sort of starting Web3 on a paradigm of value, do you see the, the further digital divide? I think, it's, I think it's the opposite. So I'm, I'm with you that that could be one way we end up. Um, I'm of two minds. I like to believe in, in, the, in the idealistic mind, which is much more, if you think about where most of the world's economy and population sits, they don't have access to most information. They can't afford to pay Spotify or Netflix. Um, the studios and the content aggregators actually make most of the money, not the artists. You know, many of us, even listening to this show, can afford these subscriptions, these monthly subscriptions. They're very easy and, and it's great for us to use them. However, we have credit cards and $10 a month doesn't seem like a lot of money. But if you take a look at most of the population that lives in emerging markets, they don't use um, postpaid on their phone. We're more than 85% prepaid in emerging markets, which shows that people really do want to pay as you go rather than subscribe to a package every month um, because that can be more expensive and is committal, right? Mm. Whereas if you're in a pay-as-you-go mindset where I want to pay for the education that I learn, I want to pay for the music that I use, and it's as um, efficient as using a credit card and so on because the platform allows it to be so, and actually the person who's getting this micropayment at the end isn't even feeling that they're going to be 10 cents and you've just charged me 10 cents to listen to a song. And I know that I'm just going to listen to this one song many times over the next week and probably on repeat. And I do that all the time, <laughs> right? And we end up with, this is my song for the week. And then next week, I'll change the song. But if you think of most of the world's economy that sits in that section where it's 
I want to pay for what I'm consuming because I can't afford to pay these monthly subscriptions for all these other things that I don't need. Mm -hmm. And when I'm paying these little payments, I actually want them to go to the person who's creating this, not 70, 80, or sometimes 95% of it to the studio or to the content aggregator or to the big corporates or, or to whomever. I won't name the big five tech companies, but, you know, but I actually want the artist that's sitting somewhere else in the emerging market to get this money. Mm. And so when I think about Web2, the intermediaries really were advertisers and platforms. We just talked about one half of it, which is the scourge of the subscription model. I think the other half has been the agreement with the devil that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll search into my favorite search engine but and agree that the first 10 things I see are paid ads in exchange for, you know, kind of relatively free access to information. So we've just been at the behest of advertisers in these platforms for for years now. And I, I do agree with you that it's probably reaching ahead and not serving enough enough people. So the Web3 version of this, talk to me about decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs. What what DAOs. are these and, and, and what are they? Well, people often joke that they're just social groups with a bank account. But effectively what they are are communities that come together that put together a certain set of rules. And then based on those rules, they raise money if they want and they transact. And so if you think about it, you write the rules into the blockchain so you can't change them. And the, the famous one that didn't work was Constitution DAO, where a bunch of people got together and there were, I think, 13 versions of original versions of the U.S. Constitution. So they, and one of them was on sale. I think it was at Sotheby's. Um, and people got together and said, we're going to raise money and buy this Constitution. And they said, OK, but it's all public, obviously, because it's on the blockchain. And so they said, if we raise this much, then we bid this much and so on. And all the rules were there. And they ended up raising $47 million in a couple of weeks. Um, but obviously, because it's public, other people could see what they raised, therefore what they were going to bid. And somebody bid just a little bit more and got the constitution. And then everybody got their money back. And all of this happened seamlessly because it's rule-based on a protocol. No lawyers were involved. No, So it's very much community-led, community-based. They did still have to establish an LLC, though, as far as I'm aware. I think it did. In Delaware. It did. But you can imagine the comparative legal costs of doing this on, like, traditional lawyers. Mm, right. So, no. so that's, again, like, by getting rid of the middle the middlemen or the layers of bureaucracy and making sure the value actually goes there. And But to your, to your point earlier, it's not just the advertisers. I just wanted to go back to this very quickly. It's also the data. When you're now searching and so on, your data belongs to the corporates. On Web3, when you're searching, your data doesn't belong to anyone except you. And that is a very fundamental shift. Your, the privacy that you have because your data actually belongs to you is very different to when you sign all cookies are allowed and, and so on. Everyone's tracking exactly what you're searching for. And that's how they know how to target you and advertise and then proliferate what you're searching for to get you to buy the psychology behind it is all very strong, right? And, and very well researched in order to get you to buy something or in order to advertise to you the correct product at the right time when you're searching for something else. So all of that manipulation that happens behind the scene that's possible because of the AI and data aggregation doesn't happen in Web3 because there is no centralized server aggregating all your information and then predicting what you're going to do. And for those of, for those of you that have watched um, some of the Netflix show, there's more than one or two documentaries now about how this happens. Um, and so Web3 does not allow for that. So as an investor, it seems antithema that investors would have a say even in, in this utopic, decentralized, no middleman world. But there will be opportunities and there will be money to be made. And 
So what are you looking for and, and what role do you see VCs as having in this new world? So there's many different opportunities in, fun, in uh, Web3 and some of them are in fintech. We've seen a lot of fintech companies funded recently. There's 40 unicorn status fund threes last year alone, 65 um, you know, unicorns in Web3 in total. So when we think about them, a lot of them are in the trading, brokerage, finance. You can also imagine that there could be something very dark there. Um, you know, there's nothing that's absolutely pure about anything, and this is no exception. So we think about it, and whether it's infrastructure, crypto financial services, brokerage, all of that now exists. A lot of these have grown massively. Um, we also see um, a lot of plays into um, digital health. So as you think about healthcare and your data privacy around there, can you centralize it? Can you own it? Uh, what can we do there? And then finally, there's the NFTs and the gaming. So NFTs are much more in the art and music and non-fungible tokens. Um, you know, and again, it's do you actually own this piece of art if it doesn't really exist except digitally? You really need to stretch your imagination there, right? But a lot of people believe you do, and some of them have created for millions of dollars. Um, and so, and then there's um, you can buy crypto land, right? So you go into um, the metaverse, and there's a lot of different real estate agents, and you can buy imaginary real estate in your virtual world, which again to me seems very matrix-like. But you stop and think more and more people are spending time in their virtual world than in the real world. Um, is it an investment opportunity, right? We have not invested in crypto land. I was going to um, ask. Then, <laughs> no. So, and then there's gaming, right? So I have three boys. They're 13, 11, and 8. Um, and as much as I try to be a strict mom and you're not allowed to play this game or that game and what are you doing online and what are you doing gaming and, and all of these arguments that mothers of boys have with their boys, at the end of the day, they will spend a large amount of their time gaming. And in Web3, there's something called play to earn. Um, and some people in Southeast Asia earn $2,000 a month now gaming on Web3 protocol. And so when you think about that, that's twice the average salary. So not that I would encourage my kids to earn money while playing games, but to show how those could, that could not have even been imagined five or 10 years ago, where if I'm gaming and I'm earning, I can actually then generate an income. Fine, it's in crypto, but guess what? You can convert that to fiat and actually buy groceries. So again, very utopia-like. But if you take a look at all of these play-to-earn platforms, they are indeed democratizing access to income because a lot of people in emerging markets don't have the education and are incredibly good gamers. Um, and so when I think about what is the future of Web3, would I invest in a gaming company? No, but would I maybe invest in a platform that enables gamers to communicate and compare notes and learn from each other? Maybe yes, because that is an industry in the future in and of itself. Those are like some of the things that we're seeing. And when I think about the Activision buy from Microsoft earlier this month, we'll see if it goes through Facebook rebranding to Meta and making big plays on its Oculus and putting us all into virtual reality. Do you think these universes will have to be interoperable? Do you think they're going to have to play with each other or is it going to be some time and are all of these things going to be siloed? I think they will be interoperable. We've already seen there are many chains um, on the blockchain and we've already seen a lot of companies focus now on the interoperability between chains. Um, a lot of Web2 companies, part of their development is now in Web3. There's always a tipping point in development. That tipping point is when your new generation of coders 
which is usually when um, someone hits 15 or 16 years old and starts building on the internet. The new generation of coders is coming in in about two years where the first language they will learn is something that gets built on Web3 because the end of blockchain would have been 16 years old. And, and that's usually those the tipping borders. point. And they'll rem- and that, that point, they've properly removed those borders. Anything new gets built on Web3 unless there's no good reason. Um, but we will find a good reason for, for that most of the time, simply for data privacy and decentralization. And a server can't go down. If, for those of you who remember when the WhatsApp servers went down a few months ago or a year ago and what happened, that's not possible with Web3, theoretically. It still happens because we're still building it. Um, but it's a lot harder for that to happen because it's not one central server. I feel like we accomplished something today. I feel like we learned, we we grew. <laughs> Thank you. So fun to talk to you. Thank you and you. That was Noor Sway talking to Kelsey. Kelsey, thank you so much. Thank you. All that remains is to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Naisha Khan, and you all for listening. Please do join us again next time.